0: Well, Happy New Year. Year. I hope your New Year so far, six days in, has been fantastic, right? How many of you, just just as a show of hands, how many of you have made a New Year's resolution? Anybody? Okay. According to statistics, some of you are liars in the room, okay? Because the University of Scranton says that over 45%, more like 60% of people, make New Year's resolutions. So let's try that again. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? All right. Okay. Still some liars. That's all right. So anyway... Um, The thing about it is when you make a New Year's resolution, there's usually something about your life you look at and go, okay, there's an area where I lack discipline, and so therefore I need to create some better discipline in my life so I can succeed in this area. That's really the premise of a New Year's resolution. And the thing about a New Year's resolution is, according to Scranton also, only 8% of the people are able to keep their New Year's resolution. So that's a very small percentage of people. But most everybody makes a New Year's resolution, whether it's overtly and outwardly or inwardly, everybody makes one. In fact, if you think about it, as soon as the New Year came in, whether it was on the news or whether it was on some kind of infomercial or whether it was on the most important media outlet there is, Facebook, um, there's this real sense of it's a new year, there should be a new you right? There's some areas of your life, like if you want to break bad habits, here's what you've got to do. If you want to lose weight, here's what you're going to do. And I've vowed to stay away from that one. And if you want to eat better, here's what you need to do. And so in the world we live, there's this overwhelming sense of a new year, there needs to be a new you. And here's how you do that. Now I'm going to say to you something that maybe you're, maybe to think you're shocked that I would say it. I have no problem with people making New Year's resolutions, I have no problem. People look at their life going, there's areas where I'm did not disciplined, I need greater discipline. Here's what I would contend, though. How many times when we make New Year's resolution do we forget the most essential part of our life, which is our spiritual life, amen? I mean, we'll make it about dieting. We'll make it, in fact, you know what the number one uh, New Year's resolution, according to University of Scranton, that 2019 was going to be? Anybody want to guess what it was? No, not lose weight. That was number two. Number one save money, which usually is like number eight. So that's crazy. People have this great idea. And so I have no problem with people making them, but my question is, have you taken moments to think about your own spiritual life? Moments where you've thought about areas where you are not as disciplined as you ought to be disciplined. That's one reason I'm so excited. Today we're starting a brand new series in the Gospel of Matthew called Getting the Story Straight. And today we begin in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And the thing you're going to find out as we go through the Sermon on the Mount is this, is that Jesus was not just imparting knowledge. That was not his goal. His goal was to share truth and basically to give a profile of what it means to really be his follower and call us to a greater level of commitment. That's what Jesus' goal was. So in this Sermon on the Mount, we hear a lot of different things. We We see him giving a profile of what it means to be a follower, which we'll talk about that in a minute. We see him talk about kind of the mindset of a follower of Jesus, what that mindset should look like. We'll get to that next week. And then he talks about stuff like what the values of a follower should be as it relates to stuff and as it relates to people. And then he ends the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, which I cannot wait to get to. We're talking about one of the most powerful things and one of the most really troubling things in all the New Testament. He talks about how do you really know, how do you really know that you are a follower of his? And so when Jesus gives a Sermon on the Mount, it's not just about imparting knowledge, it's about inspiring people to follow him, but also it's about calling people to a greater level of commitment. Now here's why this is so important for me. If you remember the last couple of weeks, you've heard me say this at least a couple of times, this, is that the commitment that Jesus calls us to is usually way up here, and the commitment we're willing to give Jesus is usually somewhere down here. Amen? That's sad, but it's true, right? I mean, Jesus calls us to be at this level, and most of the time we offer this level. Now, here's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not okay with us staying down here anymore. It's not okay. If Jesus says, I want you to be here, here's what I expect of you, here's what I desire from you, here's what I want from you, over the next six to seven weeks, I want you to look at that and go, okay, I want the same thing that Jesus wants for me. So as we go through this series, you're going to be challenged to elevate your level of commitment like you've never been challenged before. Now, here's what I know about me and what I also know about you. Typically, when we are challenged to a greater level of commitment, we have two responses, most of us. Number one is we want to push back, right? Number one, we want to start with why we can't do what Jesus is calling us to do. Well, you know, Jesus, you know, I know he understands, but at the end of the day, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure if I have enough courage to do that. We give the Moses level of excuses, right, as to why we can't do something. So one response we have when we're called to elevate our commitment is we push back. But here's what I find most important. Mostly, with believers, this no only do we push back, but secondly, we get offended, right? Come on, we get offended, we read scripture, we know what it says, and then somewhere along the line, we try to justify and rationalize it in twenty first century America what it really probably means today, and we kind of minimize and we water, we water down the impact and the commitment that Jesus It's calling us to. And so many of us, as we go through this, there's going to be a real propensity in you to want to push back on what we're going to read. There's going to be propensity in you to want to not only just push back, but you know what? I'm offended by what I'm being heard and what's being said and what Jesus is talking about. And here's all I'm going to ask you to do for the next six, seven weeks. You ready? I'm going to ask you when that propensity comes that you fight that. That you fight the temptation to be offended. That you fight the temptation to push back. And that you say, Lord, Holy Spirit, maybe the reason I want to push back, maybe the reason I'm offended is because this really is an area where I need a greater level of commitment. And if you'll make that commitment to me today, that you just ask the Holy Spirit to just invade your life and have control, and you'll push back on getting, on, on, you'll, you'll fight the temptation of pushing back, and you'll fight the temptation of just totally being offended. If you'll do that, just say amen with me. Amen? amen. Okay, because I'll tell you, it's going to get tough. Because what Jesus calls us to, I'm telling you, the more I read it, the more I'm like, wow. And it wasn't like he was talking to a mature group of believers. He was talking to the first group, the first people that decide, hey, I think I might want to follow this guy. And Jesus just lays the gauntlet down. And so today we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in the very first part of the chapter. And in this p- chapter, the very first part, Jesus lays out what I believe to be a profile of a follower of jesus now this profile i want to break down into five categories now profile because i probably watch way too many criminal minds episodes all right so i think about profile of people right some of you are with me on that and so i want to i believe he's teaching about a profile what it means to follow him if you were to profile a person who followed jesus matthew chapter 5 verse 1 through 16 is where you would land and so i want to break the profile down into five categories here's the first one we see the qualities Of a follower. What are the qualities of someone who truly follows Jesus? Look at me in verse three through five. And some of you know this passage because it says the beatitudes, right? The beatitudes. He says this in verse three and five through five. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now I want to break those down for just a little bit because he starts with these qualities of the follower, and here's the first quality he gives. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now what does poor in spirit mean? You know, sometimes we think of poverty, we think those who lack spirit. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those, he's talking about the idea of total humility those who are poor in spirit, those who have total humility. You said, Doug, what is total humility? Well, here's what it is. Total humility is when I truly understand my depravity before God. In other words, I truly understand that I'm wretched, that I'm blind, that I'm rebellious, that I, I'm just totally just an enemy of God at one point in my life. When I can understand my depravity before God, that I'm a sinner by choice and by nature, and that as I stand before God in my own strength, I stand condemned. Understanding my position for Christ but humility also understands not only my depravity before God but also recognizes my need for the grace of God right see total humility is saying listen Lord I know that as I stand before you I am wretched I'm sinful but I'm desperately in need of your grace that's humility now, let me think about this. Why in the world is Jesus starting the Sermon on the Mount with blessed are the poor in spirit? Well, because when you start reading the Gospels, here's one thing you know. One of the arch enemies, so to speak, they're not really his enemy, but they kind of view Jesus as the enemy that we see in the Gospels is the Pharisees. It's the religious elite of the day that are always attacking Jesus. In fact, there's a point in Mark's gospel where they go to him and Jesus says something and the Bible says that when they left there, they sought to kill him. At that point, they were so offended at what he said, they were ready to hang him up right then. So why would Jesus start with humility? Because it was the polar opposite. It is the antithesis of what the Pharisees possessed. What they possessed was arrogance. In fact, Jesus condemned them and he talked about the person that when they would come to pray, there was the sinner, this tax collector, this sinner that got on their knees and they prayed and then there was this Pharisee that came and he held his cloak and he prayed and he stood upright and Jesus says, which one do you think was justified? Is it the guy who thought that he was somebody in the presence of God or the one who was broken and on his knees and just begged for God's mercy? It was that guy. So it's natural that Jesus would start with humility. That a profile, a quality for a true believer is someone who is humble. We understand our position before God, but we are desperately understand our need for his grace. Now just listen to me for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, every day our understanding of our need for his grace should just grow. Because I'm going to tell you, I need his grace as much as today as I did yesterday. And I'm going to need as much tomorrow as I need today. Every day I get up, I'm reminded that my old flesh wants to sin and rebel against God. And I continually need his grace. Do you need his grace in your life? You better believe it. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he gives a blessing here. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's this, here's this quality of follower, the humility, and he says this, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, they, this is a reflection that they are inhabitants of a greater kingdom, that if they truly express this godly kind of humility, it's evidence that they belong not to this world, but they belong to the kingdom of heaven. And then he gives another quality here. He says, those who mourn or mourners, verse four says this, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be Comforted. Now, when we think of mourning, we typically think of mourning in the sense of uh, someone's passed away and we grieve, we mourn their loss. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. Blessed are those who mourn. He's referring to those who are broken over their own sin. He's talking about those who mourn their own sin, that those whose hearts are filled with sorrow because they know they've sinned against a holy God. It's those who take seriously their sin. Blessed are the mourners. Blessed are those who look at their life, see their sin, and take their sin seriously. Now, I don't know about you, but as I look at my life, there's been seasons in my life where I didn't take the sin in my life as serious as I ought to take it. And can I tell you what happens when we do that? We begin to separate in our connection and our intimacy with God. Because every day when I sin, every day when I blow it, I need to always take that sin seriously because that sin reminds me that I too played a part in sending Jesus to a cross. And you did too. And he says there, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are broken for they shall be comforted. Now I don't know about you, but have you ever met someone who suffered loss and they grieved so much it was as if they couldn't even be comforted by anybody. Have you ever met somebody like that? You've been to a funeral. And I, I mean, I've been to someone like that and it's, I mean, your heart breaks for them. But listen, to what, get to just what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are broken and take seriously their sin, for they shall be comforted. Well, what's comforting to us when we truly think about the magnitude of our sin? What's comforting is that we've received the grace of God and we know his forgiveness right? That's what brings me comfort. While I stand here and I know that I sin and I know that I rebel and I take seriously my sin, I can also be comforted in the fact that I have been forgiven and I forever will be forgiven. And that brings comfort to myself. It doesn't cause me to ignore my sin, but it causes me to celebrate that I've been forgiven by God. Amen? Blessed are those who mourn. And then he gives another quality of a follower. He said, blessed are those who are meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now, when we think of meek, we typically think of weak, right? Doormats, spineless, people that, have, that, that stand up for nothing. And I would submit to you, if you were to trace the word gr- meek in the Greek, you'd find that the word means to be gentle, to be patient, to not be given to anger. In other words, anger doesn't drive the actions of my life. To be gentle, to be patient. He said, Blessed are those who are gentle and patient. Why? Because they, they will inherit the earth, meaning that one day they will come and they will rule over the earth with Jesus. Do you know that during the last times and the last thousand-year reign of Christ, those that are followers of Jesus will come and we will reign and we will rule with him on this earth? And he says, listen, blessed are those who are meek. So as we start this Sermon on the Mount out and these Beatitudes, Jesus starts with the, the, the qualities of a follower. A follower is humble. They know their place and they know their need for God's grace. A follower of Jesus is not only humble, but they are broken over the sin that's in their life and they're also patient and they're gentle. And he gives the qualities of follower. The second thing I want you to notice about this profile is he gives us the heart of a follower. Look with me in verse six. He says this, Blessed are those, this is my favorite one, by the way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Satisfied. They shall be satisfied. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In other words, blessed are those, listen, blessed are those who crave intimacy with God. Blessed are those who crave being intimate with our Heavenly Father. Blessed are those who want to read their Bible and want to pray and approach the throne of God. Blessed are those who are craving a deep intimacy with God. Why? Because when they crave it, they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who crave living right for God. Blessed are those who are living a life pleasing to the Lord, that craved to be close to him. I don't know about you, but I want you to be challenged today. How much do you crave being close to your heavenly father today? If you looked at your heart and you looked at your life and you looked at the time you spend reading the word and the time you spend praying and the time you spend meditating on the things of God, how much do you crave, how much do we crave intimacy with God? See, here's what the scripture tells us in Jeremiah. If you seek me with all of your heart, guess what? You will find me. James tells us, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So if we truly pursue and crave intimacy with God, we will be satisfied. God will meet us, and he will satisfy the cravings of our heart. Can I just say this? The more I hunger and thirst for him, the more I'm hungry and thirsty for him. Does that make sense? It's like he's the eternal salt, right? The more I take it, the more I crave it the more I want it. And he says, blessed are those. Here's the heart of a follower. You ready? The heart of the follower is someone who craves intimacy with God. They're hungry for it. They are thirsty for it. It preoccupies their mindset. They are longing for intimacy with God. That's the heart of a follower. Now, if we were really honest, come on, just really honest today. Many of us in the room, our hearts are preoccupied with a multitude of other things. But he says, blessed are those hunger and thirst for righteousness who hunger and crave intimacy with me because they will be satisfied and then let me give you a third thing he talks about here the third part of this this uh profile he talks about the actions of the follower so he's given us the qualities of a follower the heart of a follower and then he gives us some actions of those who follow jesus look at me verse 7 through 9 he says blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, and blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And he gives us some actions that followers should be taking. Here's the first one. We should show mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, I don't know if you know what mercy means, but I'm going to define mercy and grace both. I think it's worth you writing this down. Grace is receiving that which we do not deserve. Right? Grace is me receiving something I don't deserve, which example would be the love of God. Do we deserve the love of God? Okay, that's not a trick question. Do we deserve the love of God? Do we deserve the forgiveness of God? No, but we get it anyway, right? He gives it to us freely. So grace is receiving something I don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what I do deserve. Now, what do I deserve because I'm a sinner? I deserve death, hell, and separation. But when I put my faith in Christ, is that what I received? No. What do I receive? Forgiveness. And so he's saying, listen, blessed are the merciful. When the actions of a follower of me, when the actions of someone who loves me and trusts me, I want you to show mercy. I know you think people deserve certain things, but I want you to show them mercy. Give them what they don't deserve. Don't give them what you think they deserve. Because let's be honest, don't we live in a cruel and an unjust world? And I don't know about you, but I thumb through the channel, and I thumb through the news, and there's a part of me that goes, well, this person, this should happen to them, or this person, that should happen to them. And I'm just going to be honest with you, there's sometimes I look on the news, and I see someone that's been accused of pedophilia, and they've been they've been actually, you know, indicted on that, and there's a part of me that goes, there should be a hanging in the, in the county square. I mean, there's a part of me that, that I'm real quick, I, I, I'm really good at coming up with what I, judgment I think should happen. And he says, listen, bless those who are merciful. Offering someone what not giving them what they do deserve. Now, here's why that's important. Isn't mercy at the heart of the gospel? Isn't it? Aren't you and I recipients of mercy? And he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In other words, Jesus says this at one point in Matthew. He says, if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. I don't know if you know that or not. That's a really tough passage to walk through, but let me give you just a synopsis of what Jesus means. If we are unwilling to forgive other people, that means we have never experienced the forgiveness of God. Because when we experience and understand the forgiveness that God has shown us, how dare we not forgive somebody else? I don't care what they've done to you. How dare you not forgive? And mercy is the same way. If we are true recipients of the mercy of God, shouldn't we want to show that same mercy to somebody else? He says, so blessed are those who are merciful for you shall receive mercy. And then he gives us another action. He says this in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, pure in heart, he's not talking about, you know, moral purity. He's talking about an undivided loyalty. Blessed are those who love God with everything. Blessed are those who have wholehearted devotion to God. Here's the action he's saying. Blessed are those who are truly Devoted, have a pure heart. I mean, they have a heart that the attention and the affection of the heart belongs to the audience of one, and it's God the Father. Blessed are those who have a pure heart, who doesn't have divided loyalties, but love God with everything in them. And then here's the promise. He says, for they shall see God. In other words, one day, those people who have given their heart to Christ and have a one heart loyalty. One day, Jesus is going to come again, and you are going to see him face to face. What a great moment that's going to be. Amen? Come on. Amen? And what a moment that's going to be, to see him face to face. So he says the action of be pure of heart. And then he gives him one more action, and it's this in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm convinced that we live in a world of conflict. And I'll tell you this, here's the sad part is, too many times, not this one, but too many times, that conflict also shows up in churches. I don't know about you, but I've met people before, and you've probably met people before, and if you've not met someone like this before, you might be that person. It's this, that like to create discord and disunity in the body of Christ. You ever met somebody like that? Yikes. Well, throw chop those people, don't we? Right? But notice what Jesus says. In a world of conflict, blessed are the What? Peacemaker, not throw choppers. Blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, in the world of conflict we live, we need to be at peace with God, and we need to be at peace with who? Other people. And I'm just gonna tell you, being at peace with other people is work, because they're messy. They got issues. I've got issues. I'm messy. And to be a peacemaker means there has to be a conversation and zero assumptions made. And he says, I want you to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, he says, for for they shall be called the sons of God. In other words, further evidence that you belong to God is if you're a peacemaker. Consequently, if you're not a peacemaker, if you're a rebel rouser, if you're a divider, that's not evidence that you're a follower of Jesus. But peacemakers are. So he gives us the qualities of a follower, the heart of a follower, and the actions of a follower of Jesus. He gives us his qualities, and then he talks about, in verse 10 through 12, the life of a follower. Now, I want you to listen to this. This, to me, this is, a, is an interesting passage. He says this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, which means insult, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they will persecute the prophets who were before you. Now, in other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, for those of you that truly follow me, okay, now listen to me. Those of you that truly exhibit the qualities of a follower that I talked about. For those of you that truly have the heart of a follower we just talked about. And for those of you that live out the actions of a follower, like I just talked about, for those of you that are really following me, here is your life. You are ready? Two words. Number one, a persecuted life. Blessed are you when others persecute you. Now, you may say, well, Doug, I don't know that I've ever really faced persecution. And I don't want to be offensive to you, but I'm going to let the word of Jesus kind of, let's backtrack. Let's make some, some connections here. If I'm not facing persecution, maybe it's because I'm not exhibiting the, follow, the qualities of a follower of Christ. Maybe it's because I don't have the heart of a follower of Christ. Maybe it's because I'm not exhibiting the actions of a follower of Christ. Because if someone's truly following Jesus and exhibiting those things, he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to ridicule you. Because of me. Now I want you to think about something. People hated Jesus and they will hate us too. Did you know that? People hated Jesus. People ridiculed Jesus and they will ridicule us. So one part of the life of a follower of Jesus, we're going to go through persecution. You may not get that job promotion because you talk about Jesus way too much, and we don't need you climbing the ladder because you're in a nuisance to us. Or something may happen in your life, and people may just kind of disenfranchise you because you seem to be that guy, that's always, or that guy that's always loaded with faith and always loaded and trusting God. And you know what? You're just annoying. I mean, there's going to be persecution because of him if we're truly following him. And he says you're also going to be insulted. You ever been insulted by somebody before? Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about people may slander your name because of him. People may slander your motives because of him. People will slander us, not because we're awesome, but because we're standing for an awesome God. And insulted is what our life's going to look like. But notice what he says here. He says, here's the blessing. The blessing is this. He says rejoice. Why? Because if you are slandered and you are insulted and you're persecuted for the name of God, listen, our reward is not on earth. Our reward is in heaven. And Jesus used the word great. I don't know what great is in the eyes of God, but I want it, right? I don't know what great means. And when God says great, it's like when he says in Malachi, you know, if you bring your tithe to the storehouse, I will open the floodgates of heaven. I don't know what that looks like, but I want some of that. Right? So when he says, blessed are those who have been persecuted, and blessed are those when you are insulted for my name. Rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. I want that reward. How about you? I want it. But our reward is not here. You know what? You may stand for Christ and be persecuted, insulted, and never get a pat on the back from anybody else. But there's a king who notices. There's a king who's on his throne that's taking note. And we arrive in his presence. We will be rewarded for our faithfulness. Now, all that leads us to the most important part of the passage. And it's the last and the fifth point I want to make about this profile. And it's the impact of a follower. What is the impact of a follower? Look what Jesus says in verse 13 through 16 as we wrap this up. Now, I want you to think about it in context. He's just told them what the qualities of a follower were. He just told them what the heart of a follower looked like. He just told them what the, the actions of a follower should look like. He told them what the life of a follower is going to look like. And then here's his conclusion to these Beatitudes. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But the salt that is lost its taste, how shall be salty, saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? But on a stand and gives light to all the house. And the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good work and give glory to who? Give glory to who? Give glory to who? Your Father in heaven. Here's what she says Listen, here is the impact of a follower. You're the salty of the earth. Now we all know what salt does, right? Salt does predominantly two things: It preserves on one hand and it adds flavor on the other hand. Now just think about those. What does that mean for us? He said, "Listen, you are the salty the earth. There's something about believers that we are to preserve in this world. You know what we need to preserve over everything else? is truth. That's what we need to preserve. And I don't mean your truth. I'm talking about this truth. If there's ever a season we lived in where people do not believe in an absolute truth that this is right and this is wrong and this is godly and this is not, it's right now. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to preserve that this word, this book, this infallible word of God is truth. And we need to preserve that. Not doubt it. Not go, you know what? This part, I don't, I don't know, it didn't seem, I mean, this is truth and we need to preserve it. And also as salt, we don't need to preserve the truth, we need to add flavor to the world. And here's what I mean by flavor. You know how you add flavor? Through your testimony and through your influence. We all have a testimony. We've all got a story. I know some of you say, well, my story is not that I was, you know, drug addict at nine and, and I came clean when I was 11 and, I mean, and you walk through this, ter- I mean, some people that is their story. My story was, I was saved at nine, and Jesus changed my life, and I've never looked back. I don't have a valley that was like, oh, I was in the pit of alcohol. Somebody have that. I don't have that. Do I still have a story? You better believe it. And everybody in this room has a story from the most terrible story to the most glorious story. We all have a story. And listen to me. We are to leverage our story of God's grace and goodness to bring influence into the world with which we live. Every one of you operate on a different platform. Every one of you work in different places. You live in different subdivisions. You're around different people. You're in different social networking situations, and we are called to be the salt of the earth. We are called to use our story, our testimony, to influence those around us. That's what we're called to do. And he says there, if salt loses saltiness, how can it gain again? In other words, when you lose your influence and you lose your testimony, Listen, you lose your impact. Do you get that? Come on, are you with me on that? That's why. Now, please follow me. I'm going to chase a rabbit for just a minute, because that's why it's important for us to guard our testimony. Men, that's important for you when you're married, not to ride alone in another vehicle with a woman because of work engagement. It's important. It's important for you not to have a casual lunch with somebody else who's not your spouse. It's important to make sure your doors are open when you're talking to someone so nobody, I mean, it's important to guard your testimony because one person can say one thing and you can lose your testimony and lose your impact. And you can't guard it strong enough. And you better guard it. We are the salt of the earth. Think about that. I get to preserve truth and I get to influence and impact the world I live in with the name of Jesus. But then he says, you're the light of the world. Now, I find this one really interesting. You know why? Because who is the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world. We spent four weeks talking about the light has come, right? Jesus is the light of the world. And in this first group of people on the Sermon on the Mount, standing on the side of the hill with all these people who consider following Jesus, he turns to them and says this, you're the light of the world. In other words, there's going to be a moment. I'm going to pass the baton to you, and you are going to reach a lost world. You are my reflection to a lost and a broken world. It's me, and if you're the light of the world, listen. Don't hide it. Don't put it under a bushel, right? No, no. I'm going to let it shine. You remember that song? Okay. Some of you haven't been in Sunday school a while. Okay. We a little, well, maybe we we'll, Patrick will do that next week. Maybe right. So the point is that we're a light. But now listen. How many of us go into our places? of work, family, other places, and we cower at being light, and we try to be more in the shadows, right? See, here's what I find out when I read this words of Jesus. Yeah, I I can possess the qualities of being a follower. I can possess the heart of a follower. I can possess the actions of a follower. I can live the life of a follower, but at the end of the day, I must have the impact of a follower. I am, you are, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are the reflection of Christ. We have been given a great privilege, but with great privilege comes what? Great responsibility. So how well are we reflecting Christ? See, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, and I read these first few verses, here's what I'm blown away with. When Jesus, what he says, flies in the face of arrogant, apathetic, strong-willed, lazy, unforgiving living. He flies in the face of that. And what Jesus does is he calls us out. He called them out. He's calling us out today. They take a hard look at our life and go, are we truly living a life that's reflecting Jesus in the lost world that we live in? Does my heart crave what his heart craved, intimacy with God? Do I possess the qualities of humility and gentleness and patience like Jesus possessed? Do I have the actions in my life of being a follower where I'm showing people mercy like Jesus showed mercy? Am I truly being salt and light in a broken world like Jesus was salt and light in the world he lived? Am I reflecting Christ? And some of you, if you were honest, would say, no. There's some areas I'm struggling. And here's what I want to say to you And the invitation today. If you're a follower of Jesus and you look at this and you go, here's some areas where I'm not doing what Jesus called me to, I'm going to ask you to repent today. I'm going to ask you to confess that today. And I'm going to ask you to make a new commitment to the Lord. Lord, I don't possess the qualities. I am arrogant. I'm not humble. Break my heart. God, I do crave you, but I crave other things more. Would you change my heart today? Lord, I do kind of show mercy, but not always, but I want people to always show me mercy. Would you challenge me today, Lord? I make a new commitment to you today. God, today I know that I'm the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I have not been reflecting you the way I should. In my language, in my attitude, and in my actions. And I'm just saying today, if you are a follower of Jesus, and you look at these five different things, and you can look at any one of them and go, I'm struggling right here. My challenge is simple. Would you just confess that to him today? If you need to come pray, the altar is going to be open. I would love for you to come pray and just confess it to the Lord. If you need prayer, we're going to have people on both sides of the room who love to pray with you. But please don't leave here today. Listen, please don't leave here today going, I've given Jesus this level of commitment, and but he's called me to this level, and I'm okay with that. You shouldn't be okay with that. Let's start taking steps here, amen? Wherever that area is, whether it's with the qualities, with the heart, the actions, or the impact of a follower, would you take a step today? Would you repent and make a new commitment? But if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I've never put my faith in Christ, listen to me. The beauty of the Sermon on the Mount is this. Over and over and over again, Jesus says stuff like this. For theirs is the kingdom of God. For they will inherit the earth. For they are the sons and the daughters of God. Here's the point. He's talking about another kingdom. And the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus inviting those who don't know him to be part of that kingdom. That's a kingdom that's not on earth. It's a kingdom of heaven. An eternal life with him forever. And if you've never trusted him today, and you just acknowledge that you are a sinner and you acknowledge your need for his love and his grace in your life and you receive that, the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And maybe you need to make that decision today. There's another kingdom that awaits us and are you a part of it? So I'm gonna ask everybody to stand with me. Everybody stand up if you would. Everybody stand up. Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. Everybody stand up if you would. And I'm going to pray for us. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to say this. If you know today, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you belong to him, I challenge you to think about what we talked about. Does your life exhibit the qualities we mentioned? Does your life exhibit the heart we talked about? Does your life exhibit the actions of a follower? Does your life show the world that you are the salt and light of this world? And if not, would you just confess that to the Lord? Say, Lord, I need you. I need you to change my heart. I need you to change this in my life. I want a greater level of commitment to you. Would you make that decision? And if you didn't know him, would you just trust him? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask some of our deacons and wives, they would just make their way to both sides of the room, if they would. Even in the back of the room, Tim and Carmen, if you'll just even step in the back. Maybe today you just need somebody to pray with you. They're here. They're here to, st- to pray with you, pray over you. Maybe you're struggling. They don't have to know your junk. But you can say, I need you to pray for me. They're here to pray for you. So let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I know we covered a lot of territory, Lord. It has been awesome just to campground on each beatitude. But I think as we look at them as a whole, Lord, it reminds us of what Jesus is trying to communicate to those who are listening. But there are certain qualities that a follower should exhibit. There's a heartbeat that we should all have. And that heartbeat should reflect in the actions of our life. Because ultimately, you've passed the baton to us to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ today that they would join me and that we would take that responsibility seriously today. That we would realize that maybe our co-worker, the only person that's ever going to share Jesus with them, might be us our neighbors, the only person they're going to have Jesus shared with them might be because of us. That God, you would call us out today and then you would challenge us in areas where we are shallow in our commitment. And may you call us out and may we take a step today. May we step up and say, Lord, I know I'm going to fail, I know I'm going to blow up, but I need your strength because I want to commit a greater level to you. So God, I pray today for a room filled full of repentance. A room filled full of people finding our weaknesses, but asking you to make us strong. Finding the areas where we fail and asking you to change our hearts. And then I pray for those who don't know you. I pray they would decide today they want to be part of a new kingdom. A kingdom that will never end. So God, be with us today. Move in our hearts, only as you can. Amen. Amen. Just before we sing, I want to say this. We're about to sing one, the, sing one of the greatest hymns of the faith you've ever heard. And as we sing this song, you're gonna be reminded of how committed God is to you, how much committed your heavenly father is to you. But as we sing, I want you to ask yourself this question. How committed am I to him? And maybe you need to confess that. Maybe you need to repent of that. You can do it in your seat. You can come to the altar. You can have some people pray with you. But please don't leave here today and not respond to what God is doing in your life. Patrick, you lead us.